This week on Prepping 2.0. Half a billion guns. Good on you, America. When disaster strikes, will you be prepared? This is Prepping 2.0 with authors and prepping experts, Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Online at prepping2-0.com. Get ready. Prepping 2.0 coming in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone. This is Shelby Gallagher over here at Prepping 2.0, joined by my co-host on this show and co-host in life, Glenn Tate. There are two things that you, the listener, love. Guns and episodes where we answer Patreon's questions. Why not combine them? Okay, we will in this episode. And as always, remember, the only thing harder than planning for a disaster is explaining why you didn't. So as we go into the winter months and we think about um, how we're going to work on our preps for the spring and summer, always want to suggest that you make sure that you have checked off your box of water preps. Mm -hmm. Might want to check out also episode 264. That's an episode that we did on water, storage of water, transportation of water, purifying water, all the things. We've never done a remake of that because it was so good. Well, episode 264 was a rebroadcast of episode 92. And what she's talking about is we've never done an updated episode version of 92 because, quite honestly... Episode 92 was all you need to know about water. Exactly. We could not improve. Could not do it any better. So if you're looking at how to check your box off on how to make sure your water preps are in order, check out our website, prepping2-0.com. Click over on Friends and Affiliates, and you'll see right there Pro One Water Filters. Great resource for countertop tanks, for whole home systems, all the things you need for water purification. Top 100 items that disappear first. This is a list from Bosnia survivors. It's available at our website, prepping2-0.com, under the appropriately titled heading, Top 100 List of Things. Number 41, flour, yeast, and salt. Sounds like ingredients for bread. Do you remember, Shelby, during the lockdowns when everybody made homemade bread and there was a shortage of bread makers and flour and stuff? Yeast Yeast was like $5. Oh my gosh, it was insane. Well, a collapse will be that on steroids. You know, it sure would be great if there were a book coming out all about the food element of prepping from planning your food preps to acquiring food, to storing it, to inventorying it, to cooking it. And the cleaning up after yourself. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. In fact, it's so cool. It's such a great idea that we've had in place, as many of you know, been with us for a long time, for a few years now. And then we had some hiccups in there. We had cancer, COVID, a move, master's degree. We are on the home stretch, ladies and gentlemen. So let me give you some good news about this. Yes, good news. We love good news. I'm excited about this. And we've done this typically, especially with recent books. Mine are the most recent that we've published, and it's been a few years. We like to give out thank yous to those mm-hmm. people who help us with the Amazon algorithms. It's all about the algorithm, you guys. It's all about it. So we're going to be talking about soon getting you a thank you gift, a thank you bag. Look for us talking about this after the new year. Mm-hmm. A little thank you for putting in a verified user five-star review on Amazon to help us get the algorithm going and get you a nice little thank you. There you go. Hey, here's what you missed from a recent after show if you're not a Patreon. Side hustles. I encourage you to look around. Where is there something missing? You can make good money right now in that kind of a business, just being kind of a handyman type, the guy that comes out and fixes the deck. There's so much more to this show than the regular show. You can find out what you're missing for $2 a month. You can go to prepping2-0.com and click the Patreon button. And as a Patreon, you can ask us questions like we answer in this show. And another benefit of being a Patreon is about the beginning of the year, you will receive at the email associated with your Patreon account, a Dropbox link to all 270 or so episodes of this show. You can put it on a thumb drive. You can do what you will with it. You've got a permanent archive of all of our shows. We love giving you guys that. It's a little thank you for being a supporter. Well, let's get into it. Guns. America passed the 500 million mark for guns in private hands. Go America. Yay. Good for you, America. By the way, even 42, and this is not made up, even 42% of Democrat households own at least one gun. You know, a good idea is a good idea, no matter if the rest of your political beliefs have been repeatedly 
proven to be wrong. So let me just jump in here. The reason why we target Democrats is because their platform, their national platform Mm -hmm. is anti-gun. Yeah, 42% of their households have a gun. Yeah. So there's a little disconnect there. A little bit of But anyway, you were saying, Glenn. Well, with all those guns out there, there's a lot of demand for information on guns. Patreons ask us their questions about guns, and we guarantee at least one of these questions is one that you also have. And as a bonus in the after show for our Patreons, we answer two of the most important gun topics. Number one, how can women who aren't gun experts help a man who is? And number two, how can a man make a woman feel comfortable about guns? Shelby, kick it off. All right. First question from Robert Guest. How would you or would you try to encourage a family member to either not buy as many guns or even sell some that they never shoot and take that money and use it for training or night vision? A little background is that this family member grew up poor and is now at a point where they can afford to buy moat guns just because. I know it's none of my business, but guess what? The answer will be when they ask to, quote, borrow my night vision. And there's a few responses here, but Glenn, you go where you want to go on this. Well, Robert, I think you are spot on about the need for training and night vision. Regardless. Regardless. Always, that's across the board. Yeah, that's true. Training is obvious. By the way, you train to learn how to practice and then you take the good habits for practice that you learned in training and you practice the good habits. But the bigger point is this, night vision is a game changer. You cannot fully appreciate what a game changer night vision is until you've tried it. And this happens to absolutely everyone I've ever seen. And it's expensive. Night vision, yes. But they finally look through that night vision lens and they can see at night and instantly your brain recognizes what an absolute game changer. It's totally cheating. It is cheating in a good way. And in a gunfight, cheating is always good. Hmm. It is unbelievable what an advantage you have. And you don't have to have night vision for everybody on your crew, although that would be cool. If one person has night vision, they can detect threats. Now, it's better if everybody that has a gun has night vision because then you can service the target, as they say. But don't think that, well, I got 10 people on my crew, so I need 10 units of night vision. No, I mean, one would do. It is expensive. But back to your question, Robert, Mm -hmm. I think that your heart is in the right place. I just don't know how effective you can be telling someone that they should spend their money elsewhere. What do you think, Shelby? Before I give you my opinion, there's a few responses to this. Agent Aiken replies with a smiley face. I feel personally attacked. And so, haha, on that one, Matt Williams replies, most people are collectors, man. Only if you are going to train classes or have regular practice sessions. Bill Seward replies, I went through that from the family member side and it wasn't just guns. Eventually things changed my life, notably retirement and the change in income that brought. Now I'm selling some of the things I have in excess, such as guns and vehicles to fund other purchases. In the interest of family peace, I'd leave it lay and allow that family member to reach their own conclusions. Besides, guns are one of the best performing investments with the least worry that I've seen. And I think Bill says it the best in terms of my opinion. I don't feel like it's worth the discomfort in that relationship to tell somebody how to maintain their gun supply. You know, there's five, what did you say? Five million guns out there? 500 million, a half a billion guns. Good on you, America. So that means people are going to have multiples. I would encourage you to go towards the avenue of, hey, let's go practice. Let's go run some ammo through some of these firearms. Hey, want to come over here and see how I store my stuff and then let them kind of have a peek at some of your prep so that they can see the prepping side of gun ownership and as well as getting practice in. The thing about night vision, yes, I absolutely agree. All things night vision are awesome. Super expensive. Like so, three, four thousand bucks typically. Right. So if you can lead somebody towards the benefit of prepping with their guns and using that as an investment resource to purchase those things, even better. But I don't think you're going to win by saying, dude, you need to sell that and that and that so you can buy that. That's just not going to work. It's going to be very uncomfortable. Yes. Well put. And uh, Bill Seward, well put. You encapsulate my thoughts perfectly. Ray Legrand says, gun safes. My concern with gun safes include electronic lock failures, governmental overrides, the Liberty Safe debacle, inadequate fireproofing, poor construction quality, and vulnerability to tampering. Plus, certain models just seem to have poor organizational features. Go heavy traditional, go lightweight and bolt down, electronic versus mechanical, 
rust and corrosion issues. What are y'all's thoughts and experiences? Any best practices for gun safe management and gun and ammo storage? I would say this, Ray, you bring up very valid points. So can you explain really quick to folks, Glenn, the Liberty debacle? Some people may not be aware. Yes. Liberty safes, they make magnificent safes. They're relatively expensive. They're still reasonably affordable, but they are immaculately made. One little problem. Hmm. The FBI wanted to get the combination to a, let's say, a zealous Trump supporter on social media, to a zealous gun safe, and they gave the combo to the FBI. Not cool. So that means your gun safe isn't as safe as you think. Right. I mean, in the unusual circumstance where the FBI has enough resources to focus on you, which is, numerically speaking, highly unlikely. Well, but after we've watched the FBI go after school boards. Yeah. You know, it's a valid concern. I'll the say Catholic that. Church. Yes. <laughs> that was a political I mean, blunder. W- when you sit here and go, the FBI wouldn't do that. And then yet, yes, here we but are. I just don't want people thinking right. that Liberty can hit a code in an app and automatically open up your gun safes. It took some special stuff, but I don't mean to dwell on the details. Right. Now, he has heavy traditional or lightweight and bolt down. I would say it depends on how much money and space you have. I'm a bigger fan of heavy traditional safes. As far as bolting them into, let's say, a cement garage floor, I'm actually not a huge fan. And here's why. I've had to move. And once you move, you realize what a catastrophe it would have been had we bolted down our heavy gun safe. It was hard enough to move it. Oh, and I'll say this. Hire professional gun safe movers. They have this magic machine that picks up gun safes. Yeah. Hydraulics is magic. When you think about a pilot being able to push a foot pedal and stop an airplane, that is magic. Well, it's hydraulics. Hydraulics are magic. Let me jump back to the move. We did move gun safes, Plural. plural. The first on the way to Montana to a rental, we Mm -hmm. paid some big football players. There was a few moments while Mm -hmm. they were moving that, that- Oh, terrifying. Wowza. I mean, they got it done. Dude almost got crushed. Oh, and and I just would have had to run away. Right. Because you were chemo weak. Then we're moving from rental to permanent house. And I'm like, I don't have football players. Mm -hmm. I don't. uh Uh-uh. So what I did. It was like 200 bucks. It was 400 bucks. Okay. But it was worth it. Paid a local locksmith who had the hydraulic equipment. And hydraulics are magic. And it was worth the 400 bucks. Mm -hmm. So I'm letting you know that moving thing is a big deal. But no amount of hydraulics magic would pry a gun safe out of a cement floor if it's bolted down. Absolutely. And so think about that. And lightweight and bolt down, lightweight is okay. I tend to believe in, here we go, layering. I think people should have a heavy traditional safe. And maybe if they run out of room, which you should, at half a billion guns, good on you, America. Maybe having some lightweight ones. You can put the guns that you care less about in the lightweight one. Here's something that I think, in my opinion, there is no debate on. It's going to be hugely controversial. So there's debate. I just think that one side wins, clearly. Electronic versus mechanical, 100% mechanical. Electronics fail. Batteries can corrode contacts. There's always a locksmith in your area. And can I just say my love and admiration for locksmiths? I think that in the collapse, probably the most valuable dude in any community is the locksmith who has the knowledge and the tools. Exactly. Well, the hydraulics. Yeah. Well, there's the knowledge and the tools, not just making keys like your door keys or whatever. Yeah. Find that locksmith in your community that has a specialty in gun safe locks. Yeah. I want to just piggyback on something you just said, the mechanical versus electronic. It's almost near impossible these days to find a strictly mechanical lock. In moderately priced safes, you're correct. So. When we say electronic, those are the either biometric or they're the electronic key. You know, you have to key in a number with a battery. That's the concern. What if that goes down? We've managed to find, and I know Glenn's going to jump in here. Because I'm so excited. A little bit of both. You can find one that is mechanical, but also has a key option. Exactly. We got as our second safe a relatively inexpensive it was at costco it was worth every penny it was 600 bucks back in the day right before this was pre-covid yeah pre-covid and um, they delivered and they delivered 600 bucks it has an electronic interface which is super convenient i grant you that as far as the convenience of gun safe locks i think that 
too many guys get too transfixed with the whole quick draw McGraw thing. Like I need to be able to look at a gun safe and it needs to pop open and a gun needs to fly in my hand because those extra seconds are going to matter. If you are caught by surprise and the only gun you have is in a gun safe, you're already in a terrible position. You should have guns safely secured in your home so you don't have to worry about this. Well, I'm so glad we're having this discussion. So that's where the layering comes in. When you're talking about big, huge, Mm -hmm. heavy gun safes, those are not your quick draw McGraw Mm -mm. firearms. When you want something like that, that are placed in key areas around your house, those are the biometric ones. Yes. Those are the ones you put your handprint down, your, your four fingers down. And it and goes it beep, beep and a door and opens. It opens. Yes. Very different usage. That's the layering thing. So yes. we're talking about the big heavy duty. This is where big rifles go. This is where the hunting stuff goes. This isn't going to be- The night vision The night vision there. goes. These are where the valuables go. The quick draw ones, that's a completely different locking system. And back to the Costco safe, it had a keypad, which yes. again- phenomenally convenient. And it has like the old timey key. It looks like a key to the uh, jail from a Western. You know what I mean? You guys can picture this, what I'm talking about. It's easy to pick out from the piles of keys Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I felt immensely comforted by knowing that if the battery corrodes, the contacts, based on a true story, didn't happen to me, happened to somebody else, that I can still get into that gun safe. There's nothing scarier than not being able to get into a gun safe. It is the worst feeling, one of the worst feelings in the world. And then another question was rust and corrosion issues. That varies greatly depending on the climate you live in. If you live in the Southeast or Texas slash Oklahoma, which some people do not consider to be the Southeast, but it still has a lot of humidity, a bunch of the Midwest actually, now that I think about it, has a bunch of humidity. You absolutely need to have corrosion control. There are a variety of ways to do it. Look it up on YouTube. I'm not going to say which is my favorite. I think it depends. It is something to look into. I'll tell you, there's nothing worse than opening up a gun safe and seeing a spot of rust. Now, that happened to me not because of the gun safe and corrosion. It happened to me because I was shooting corrosive AK-74 ammunition and I missed a spot. Turns out it was on a part of the gun, the gas port, that doesn't matter. I could just whisk it off with a wire brush. In any event... You have to think about rust and corrosion because everything's a what? A system. That's right. It's not just the safe. It's the rust and corrosion control. So great question. Let me give some of the commentary that came in after that. Agent Aiken comes in. My dream safe is a Pendleton rotary safe with a mechanical lock. Costs about seven grand. So that's the kind of cost we're talking about. Ray comes back and says, that's a dream save. Wow. I think I'll be happy with a secured agile stack to get my stuff off the closet floor, still working on things. Christian comes in, in my safe, if you remove the keypad, there's a mechanism for mechanically overriding the lock. I've had to get into it after the keypad through an issue not long after I purchased the safe. And he goes on and on. So there's kind of your midline safe that we just talked about. Ray comes back and says, I'm just more concerned with organizing and securing what I have, which is less than 10 firearms. So that's the other thing. Think about your capacity. Mm -hmm. I also want to go back before we take a break, believe it or not. Ammo storage. We talked about this. Yes, I can address this. There is one way that I believe to be vastly superior on a variety of levels, and that is military ammo cans. You can get them at surplus stores. And surprisingly, you can get really good ones at Harbor Freight. They were about 14 bucks, so they're probably at least 20 now. Mm -hmm. They're very well made. It's annoying. They have a sticker, a giant sticker on them that is impossible to get off. But other than that, I am a big fan of getting new ammo cans. And the reason is the rubber seals are new and not cracked and nasty. Some of the military surplus ones have cracked and nasty rubber seals. Ammo cans do three things. Number one, they're airtight. And so you're going to keep moisture out. It's stunning how effective ammo cans are at keeping moisture out. Number two, they have a handle and you can carry them and they're sized. Everybody seems to get 50 caliber cans. They're sized so that even if you fill it up with something that's got a lot of lead in it, like nine millimeter ammunition, it's one of the heavier ammo cans you're going to pick up. It still is carryable. Yes, I love to make up a word every show and I just did carryable. 30 caliber cans are smaller and are even more carryable. Absolutely. And the third thing that ammo cans do that I don't think any other system does is they're very stackable. Because they're made out of metal, they're rigid, and you can stack them several high. So you have several hundred pounds of ammo on top of the bottom one. 
and it doesn't does not crush. explode or implode, whatever. I guess it would be explode. It doesn't crush. Thank you. Crush would be a much better word. And so that's good. There are some plastic ammo cans. They're made by Plano, P-L-A-N-O, among others. I don't have much experience with them. I guess they are airtight. I guess they stack. I don't know. And, you know, you can label ammo cans very easily with duct tape. I have color-coded duct tape for all my calibers. Yes, I'm crazy that way. Another thing you can do to organize it is to get a variety of paracord and different colors. There's probably a thousand colors and patterns of paracord available on Amazon. And you can put a little piece of paracord on with different colors that correspond to the different calibers. So, you know what? We could do a two-hour episode just um, on ammo on cans, ammo cans well, but we, we probably shouldn't. We did an episode recently with Krista Wallet from Ammo.com, and I believe it was episode 255 where we talked about this. And he said the same thing. <clears throat> ammo cans, throw in an oxygen absorber into that as well. And they're desiccant, desiccant. I think you mean. Um, uh, moisture, and, not oxygen. There you go. Yes, my bad. And how they are the Tupperware for ammo. To answer your question there, I'm really encouraging you in your ammo storage to not just leave them in the brown paper boxes that they, paper cardboard boxes they come in, but to put them in ammo cans with a moisture absorber. There you go. The cardboard boxes retain moisture yep. and are not ideal. We're talking years and years yes. of storage, probably okay in paper containers. But decades and decades of storage are okay in ammo cans. Shall we ask the next question? We might be, have to yes. cut it off here relatively soon. And I think it's a good question to kind of tease in our brain before we take a break from Steelheart. Steelheart asks, what do you consider to be a reasonable quantity and price, battery or collection of firearms? Oh, this is going to be awesome. What would you suggest for each individual versus group pool shared options? How would this change rural versus urban areas? We have a minute. Where do you want to go with this, Glenn? Well, we have a couple of minutes, actually. What do you consider a reasonable quantity and price battery collection of firearms? I would refer you to episode 255, I believe. That's off the top of my head. Chris DeWallet from Ammo.com. Yes. Any of the shows he's been on are phenomenal. And he's only been on four. So if you just look up Chris DeWallet, D-W-U-L-E-T, on our website, you'll find him. And he answered the question about a five firearm battery. I will go ahead and give that answer, and then we're going to break here for the segment. Mm -hmm. First and foremost would be a handgun. I prefer semi-automatic to revolvers because of ammunition capacity. Second would be a battle rifle. They're called by people who don't know anything about guns, assault rifles. They're not assault rifles, but it would be an AR or an AK, could be an M1A, could be a Mini-14, could be a variety of things. Number three would be a 22 caliber rifle. I'm a huge fan of Ruger 1022s. Remarkably dependable and easily accessorized. Number four would be, and these are not in any order except the first two, they definitely are in order, would be a shotgun, 12 gauge. I'm a big fan of 20 gauge, but 12 gauge is far more common and more powerful. And then a fifth would be a practice pistol in 22 caliber, preferably one that has the ability to have a suppressor put on it. And you can debate this, but I think that a lot of the debate has been settled on what a five gun battery would be. Then people ask, what's a three gun battery? I would say a handgun first because it is concealable and you can move it around and it doesn't have all the firepower of a rifle, but it still has enough. And then a battle rifle, and then probably a shotgun is probably what I would do yep. for a three-gun battery. We have so much more. We're just getting started. So much more to talk about on the other side of the break. Don't go away. More of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher is coming right up. Hear all our previous shows free online at prepping2-0.com. In a tactical situation, your AR is your life. Gibbs Arms makes a sweet feature, the only side charger that can use a standard bolt carrier group with no modification. Gibbs makes them in 9mm, 5.56, and 308. In fact, Gibbs Arms has been granted eight patents for unique innovations. The company started back in 2008 when two Boeing engineers realized no one else made what they wanted. Take a look at their website and see all the ways Gibbs Arms can help you mod your AR. Gibbs with a Z, arms.com. That's G-I-B-B-Z-A-R-M-S.com. When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. 
Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, thanks to EMP Shield. EMP Shield invented a simple to install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or a CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself. And save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn here. A lot of times the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love new mana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO. Also, organic meals are available. Numana comes in family-style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to Numana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Are you a prepper or homesteader looking to connect with like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own preparedness group? Already have a group? Well, look no further than PrepperNet. PrepperNet is dedicated to personal responsibility, individual freedoms, and being self-reliant. PrepperNet has monthly meetings in over 100 cities where you can meet and learn with like-minded people in your area. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Find us online at PrepperNet.com. Without water, you're done in three days. Pro One Water Filters. It's literally a matter of life and wet. Pro One G 2.0 all-in-one gravity systems are NSF ANSI 42 component certified. Not everybody can say that. No need for additional add-on filters to reduce fluoride. Pro One stainless gravity systems include a stainless steel spigot and a countertop stand for no additional cost. Pro One Water Filter Gravity Systems. Check them out at ProOneUSA.com. That's P-R-O-O-N-E. USA.com. Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. Body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for come and take it, makes solid and affordable body armor for normal people. Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. Now, more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Thanks for rejoining us. We're just getting started with answering Patreon's questions about guns. For even more, stick around for the after show, especially if you're a Patreon supporter. You know what's cool? A friend of mine texted me this morning, as a matter of fact, and said, hey, how do I get that $50 discount on EMP Shield products? And I said, you go to prepping2-0.com and look for the page called Friends and Affiliates. Go down about a page and you'll see the EMP Shield logo. Click on that and through computer magic, you are already hooked in to the $50 discount. Archive Dive, this is where we go back and look at old episodes because we have so many new listeners. Thank you, new listeners. If this is a first time you're listening, go ahead and pat yourself on the back. Episode 100, which aired in September of 2020, was called, one of my favorite show titles, Reality Bath with Sean Swanson, and he talked about a lot of stuff. He talked about how there are all these people that have all these crazy visions about life in general. Most of them are entitled and dependent and carefree and lazy, and how they're gonna get a reality bath, which I thought was a great phrase, about what's up when stuff breaks down and you can't Uber yourself a cheeseburger anymore. It was a magnificent episode, so I wanted to let folks know about episode 100. As you're looking at your holiday season here and you're wondering, oh my gosh, how can I get my prepping friends and family some great things? Go check out our website, prepping2-0.com. Click on Friends and Affiliates. We have great sponsors over there that have some amazing coupon codes. You'll Over there, you'll find Survival Garden Seeds. Katie Armor stands for Come and Take It Armor. Backwoods Home Magazine. New Man of Foods. Oh my gosh, what a great gift to give to folks to get them immediately set on their deep preps. Gibbs Arms. 
And of course, podcast access. Reach out to our friend Andy, our producer Andy yes. over there, if you want to start your own podcast. We consider Andy the third member of the show. Yes, we do. And if you knew all that goes on behind the scenes, you'd know how true that is. I guess Andy does, so Andy knows. Anyway, back to Steelheart's question. The second part of his question is, what would you suggest for each individual versus group pool shared options? How would this change rural versus urban areas? Can I just say, you Patreons ask the best questions. Yes. You make us look awesome because it's like, wow, that was really brilliant what you guys talked about. Well, and what's really nice is we've hit on all of these topics just a little bit, mm -hmm. and it's been smattered throughout. Smattered. Our, I, I love, love that word. New word. Mm -hmm. smattered. No, it's not new. It's an accepted word. Darn. I, I thought I had the new word of the day. Yeah. Nope. Smattered throughout our show. Shows, uh, I should say. And now we're distilling it into one show, which is great. So this answer is going to vary immensely with your situation. As far as what each individual should have, I think a five-gun battery would be great for each individual to have. I'm not sure how practical that is. But as far as group pooled shared options, there's a plus and a minus to that. The plus is with a group, you've got more people carrying the financial load and you can get some weapons that probably individuals wouldn't normally be able to get. The problem is that you got to share. And especially when stuff falls apart, people may not be in a real sharing mood. The other thing is, is that, and let's be honest, prepping has its seasons with people. They get really amped up. They buy a lot of stuff. And then a lot of them kind of fall by the wayside. And if you have a group and you pool your resources when you're all amped up, you're going to get a lot of stuff. And then it's been my experience, not with my team, but with other people's teams, that at least one person loses interest and then wonders why they spent $2,000 on a bunch of shared weaponry and it becomes a problem. I'm not well, saying don't pool it, but a, it, there are problems And then what happens is, is, wait a minute, I put in more on that firearm than you did. It should be mine. Yeah. And then we have the problem with divvying it up after it's been bought. So bottom line, ideally, recognizing that's not always practical, ideally everybody would have their own battery. Please, if you are working with a group, standardized calibers, kind of goes without saying, yeah. but you'd be surprised. There will be people that'll tell you the awesome ballistics of the 327 Federal. Have you ever tried to find that ammunition? It's just not a good idea. So do that. And then how would this change rural versus urban areas? I'm not sure it would much, but I would say in general, urban, you would want an emphasis on shorter range weapons that are concealable. That would ideally be a handgun. And urban areas, you're going to want, all things being equal, a bit of a emphasis on longer range stuff. But it's not an absolute. It's a minor sort of flavor enhancer. So Dennis Hain, I hope I'm saying that correctly, says, red dot versus iron sights. What are your recommendations for those on your EDC firearm? So there's a response to that from Ken Kristen, which I think he brings up a good point. Yes, he says, if you want one or the other, the question is, how are your eyes? This is a big deal for those of yeah. us who are getting older. If you regularly wear glasses or contacts, there's a good chance you won't have a clear view of either your target or the irons because of the correction. A dot can overcome some of that. A dot also shoots faster because you don't have to shift focus between the sights and your target. Agreed, Kent. You are correct. In an ideal world, we would all have red dots. And the reason is exactly as Kent indicates, red dots are far easier to pick up and acquire a target. Here's the kicker with red dots. And we mentioned this in the last show that we did when we addressed this with Chris Duwallet. You have to practice with red dots. So if you're the kind of person that is going to practice by all means, red dots are phenomenal. In fact, I think 10, 20 years from mm -hmm. now, when we look at pictures of guns from the current era, we'll notice that none of them had red dots or very few did. And then it's become very standard in the future. It's kind of like when you look at pictures of AR-15s from 10, 15 years ago, they all had carry handles and now almost none do. It'll be one of those things. So huge fan of red dots, but you absolutely need to train with them. I have decided, because I have limited amounts of time, to stick with iron sights. One thing that I would note about iron sights is that pistol ranges are very, very close. And I'm not going to say you don't aim because that would be very reckless, but you're not making 300-yard shots on wildlife. And so your sights are kind of getting you in the neighborhood kind of thing. Given that, I think you need less out of your sighting system than 
you would with other types of weapons. So yeah, I can't stress it enough. Training with red dots. I will say this, if you do not train a lot and by a lot, I'm going to say off the top of my head, a thousand rounds a year, going out at least quarterly and shooting 250 or so rounds, then don't bother with a red dot because it actually is going to be a liability. Before we go too much further, I want to speak to this. So Shelby here has not been meaningfully shooting, gosh, in like three and a half years. No excuses, but cancer, COVID, moving, masters, there's a lot of things that took me away from that. And in that time, I've had eye corrective surgery done, and so has Glenn. Mm -hmm. I had four eye surgeries in 10 months. In one year, I had cataract and lens replacement surgery. So we had the old age kind of Mm -hmm. surgeries done. So it'll be interesting for us to see what that's done to our vision now. I went from being legally blind, essentially, to now having pretty decent distance vision. So it'll be interesting to me, and maybe we'll do a whole show on that. What did we learn after we went shooting, after having some pretty major surgeries done to our eyes? Yeah. Yeah. The next question is from Atypical Sapien. He or she, all we know is that he or she's a sapien. Well, good. Yeah, good. Composable thumbs are wonderful things. I know. We don't want raccoons getting on the keyboard and asking Patreon questions because they'd probably ask like, where did you hide the peanut butter in the trash can? Because raccoons are dumb. Anyway, I'd like to know more about suppressors. He says silencers. Thoughts on efficacy, costs, process of acquiring legally those oil filter ones, perhaps an episode on all things suppressed. By the way, happy Thanksgiving. Let me address a couple of things. Thank you for putting Mm -hmm. silencers in parentheses. Now, the true term, and I'm not like a gun term snob, like some people who flip out if you call a magazine a clip. I just think you don't know what you're talking about, unless it's an M1 Grand, which is truly a clip, not a magazine. In any event, Calling it a suppressor is the preferred term for one very simple reason. It is way more accurate. The term silencer implies that a suppressed firearm is silent. That is possible with a 22. I have a suppressor for a 22. And I kid you not, people think I'm kidding. Shelby has actually experienced this. She knows it's true. All you hear is the hammer hitting the rim of the cartridge. That is all you hear, subsonic 22s. So I guess with subsonic 22s, it is correct to say they are silencers, but everything else has a noise signature to it. And so if you think that getting a suppressor means it'll be like a James Bond movie where you have you hear a, a Walther PPK, some gun like that, and then you just hear the uh, not true. And so you're deluding yourself. That's what I was good. <laughs> Yeah, I'm good at imitating yes. mechanical yes, sounds. Yes, you are. No, okay. Um, so you ask about efficacy. 100% wonderful. They are great. They work. They dampen the sound. I would say a suppressor on an AR-15 dampens it down to about an unsuppressed 22 long rifle. So that should give you a reality check. Costs. Costs have actually come down for suppressors. They've become far more popular, and I think that's what's driving it. Process of acquiring legally. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because there was an answer to by Ray Legrand on this, but I want to see what your thoughts are. 100% fan of silencershop.com. And not only do they have a website and they tell you all things suppressor, even they couldn't resist using the term silencer. I noticed that. A lot of gun stores are affiliated with silencershop.com and you can go into a gun store and they're sort of like authorized dealers. The thing that silencershop.com does is it handles all the paperwork. And yes, it is a regulated item under the National Firearms Act. You need to get a tax stamp, it's 200 bucks, and you need to do the six to eight month wait with the ATF. Accept it as a reality, it's not ideal but it is what you got to do. Okay, so you're saying that so calmly. It's an aggravating process for most people. Let's just agree on well, that. Yes, I, okay. yes, I've been aggravated by it. But the flip side is there's nothing better than getting that call from your local gun shop. And you're like, why are they calling me? Because it's been six to eight months. You forgot, honestly, right. based on a true story, several true stories, you've actually forgotten that you've purchased a suppressor. And you get the phone call and they're like, hey, come by and pick up your can. Can is another thing they're called because they look like pop cans or soda cans if you don't pronounce carbonated beverage correctly. It's pronounced pop, not soda. (sighs) Anyway, so it is nice to get that. So process of acquiring them legally. Bottom line, silencershop.com, 100% recommended. It's not an awful process. But it's long. It's just dumb. And it's totally meant, you would agree with me on this. 
That whole process is meant to discourage people from purchasing oh, yeah. silencers. Because actually silencers- Suppressors. And the, I'm sorry. Suppressors, cans, whatever. They create safety for firearms users. Why? Yeah. Because you don't have to wear ear protection and ear pro. You should wear ear pro. No matter but what. But you don't have to. Right. But the, You're saving your ears from a blowout situation. Yeah. An AR-15 shot inside a vehicle without hearing protection will cause you permanent hearing damage. Highly not recommended. With a can, it's going to ring for a couple days and it's not good. But when I shoot an AR with a suppressor, I wear ear pro. I've just become used to it. Then a question about the oil filter ones. What he mm-hmm. means by that is there are some, I don't know, screws or nuts or whatever they are. I guess they're nuts that happen to fit on the threading of gun barrels. There's a standard threading for suppressors. Don't ask me the fraction of an inch that it is, but it's whatever it is standard. And this device screws onto a barrel and then screws onto an oil filter. And you can shoot through the oil filter and it acts as a suppressor. Don't do it. This is a total ATF trap. Those little items, I don't know if they're currently considered that little adapter thing. I don't know if they're currently considered to be a firearm. I truly don't. They will, at the stroke of a pen, do not get on a buying list of oil filters. I see them advertised on Facebook and stuff, and I just have to wonder- That should be your sign right there, Yeah, I just have to wonder what the real purpose of trying to interest people in them is. And I understand from secondhand information, not firsthand information, because I've never seen or touched one of those adapter things, because I think it's a quick trip to- Not necessarily federal prison, but having the federal government use you as a resource to then go and spy on your buddies. I think that's more likely than going to prison. And that's also a bad thing. But I understand they don't work very well. I've seen YouTube videos where somebody uses one and then they have a little decibel reader thing and they don't really work that well. So Mm -hmm. if you think you're being tricky and cool, you're not. Get yourself a real suppressor. They work better. It's legal. You don't have to worry about it. And now there's a system, silencershop.com, that makes it easy to do that. And Ray Legrand says flow-through models like the ones from HUXWRX, Hux Works, enable you to mount them without having to modify your gas block and all the gases escape through the front instead of the back. And he mentioned silencer shop. That thing about flow-through models is kind of inside baseball. He does raise a point though, that one of the things about suppressors is that they push more of the gas from the discharge into your operating system. So if you run a suppressor, especially with a lot of rounds and especially in a direct impingement system like an AR-15 that relies on the gas as the mechanism that moves the bolt back, it's going to get a lot dirtier, a lot quicker, and it's going to heat up your gun. And that doesn't mean you don't use suppressors. It's just that if you put a suppressor on and go through a case of 5.56, it's going to have a pretty dirtifying, another word I just made up. Man, I was trying to beat you. I know, a dirtifying effect. And you need to consider that in some cases, the increased pressure means you need to regulate the gas pressure so that your bolt works correctly. Some rifles have a way of regulating the gas. There's basically, you know, settings, but that's kind of inside the weeds. That's not really a beginner's thing. So Nicholas Larson, I love this because you'll see why in a moment. He says, in my country, you are only allowed four guns without special permits. Special permits requires a long talk with the police why you need those extra guns. He must live in California. Ah. (laughs) And I'm not joking, but I am, but I'm not. What four rifles would you recommend? So Ken Christian jumps in and says, are there any restrictions on the four guns you possess? Like, are there any specific types or models banned? And Canada has this problem too. Nicholas says, only semi-automatic and no military models. So this is a modification of your four-gun battery, Glenn. If you cannot possess semi-automatic guns and military models, which would be, practically speaking, synonymous, I guess a Mosin Nagant, which was used by the Russian army as early as 1894, would be a, quote, military model that's bolt action. But anyway, you get the picture. Basically, we're talking about if you can't have semi-automatic rifles, and that would include, and Nicholas, by the way, I believe is from Denmark. He's from a Scandinavian country. He's Mm -hmm. commented before. But Shelby's right. It might as well be California. Highly recommend lever action rifles. They are not semi-automatic. 
they are legal in, I believe, all states and probably many Scandinavian mm-hmm. countries. Yeah. They are magnificent guns. If you can't get a semi-automatic rifle, which is obviously superior, lever actions are becoming widely popular. And my theory on that is, and it's based on myself because the world revolves around me, but my theory is that a lot of guys have kind of gone as far as they can with ARs. We have some ARs. You've tricked them out. You've done stuff with them and you've kind of completed that path. And then you get into AKs and you do the same thing. You get a couple AKs and you trick them out and you kind of go down that pathway. What's next? Lever actions. Lever actions are actually, in some cases, hard to acquire. The new Marlins, which are made by Ruger, are actually kind of hard to get. I was on a waiting list for a year for a Marlin lever action. And I just couldn't wait any longer. Plus some money came in and I needed to do something with it. So I went on gun broker and probably paid too much money and got a Marlin lever action. So highly recommend lever actions. Look into it. There are a ton of videos on YouTube. You just want to get an overview of it because most Americans, and I'm guessing most Danish people, haven't fired a lever action maybe ever because they're just not modern guns. They're just not normal, but you should look into it and you could see for yourself how clever they are. They're very light. They're very handy. They hold a moderate amount of ammunition. Obviously it depends on the caliber. You can get a 20 inch barrel lever action that holds, I think quite a few 357 rounds. I highly recommend if you get a lever action that it be the second lever act, whatever it is. Let's say it's a Marlin 1895 SBL in 357. Let's just say that's what it is. I highly recommend that be your second lever action gun. Your first lever action gun should be a four to $500 Henry 22 because you can learn the mm-hmm. manual of arms on a lever action very, very cheaply. And by the way, there's nothing more fun than a lever action in 22. It is an absolute blast. It's a great way to get around so many gun regulations too. Yeah. Yeah. So get a 22 lever action to get broken in and figure it out. There's some unique stuff. And then get the lever action that you want. Another reason for lever actions in states that have gun restrictions is that you can get pistol caliber lever actions. I mentioned 357 slash 38. You can get them in 44 Magnum slash 44 special. You can get them in a couple other calibers, not that many. There's fewer ammunition choices. But the cool thing is in a state that won't let you have semi-automatic rifles, they almost certainly will not let you have semi-automatic pistols, which means you're going to need a revolver for a handgun. Problem solved. Get a 357-38 revolver and then have a 357-38 lever gun. That way you only need to stock one kind of ammunition and you're legal where you are. So those are some reasons I'm a huge fan of lever guns. I'm so glad we got a question that was an indirect entree into the topic of lever guns. Absolutely. Because I am brimming with love about lever guns. Well, as you have kind of explored this area of firearms, you've run into more and more people who are saying the same thing, where lever action is kind of the way to go. Oh, yeah. It's becoming a thing. Oh, and last thought on lever actions. If you go on YouTube or Instagram, you'll see people that have tricked out tactical lever actions. If you have one, I hope I'm not insulting you. I don't really see, you know, putting a rail on there and having Mm -hmm. all this kind of cool tactical stuff. I guess it's cool if you've got nothing but time and money, knock yourself out. I don't really see lever guns taking a tactical role. They're great guns for a variety of uses. They're phenomenal truck guns, for example. I don't think everything needs to be tactical. I mean, if you can have an AR-15 for that use and have a lever gun for all these other uses. So anyway, that's enough about lever guns. Yes. So we're going to start the next question and it's probably going to take us into the after show just so you know, but uh, Bill Seward asks, AR slings must get, I'm just going to jump right. Yes. But he goes on to say single point versus multi-point. Any specific favorites in either category? Also ARs, accessories, 
I've seen people who doubled plus the weight of the gun with all this stuff they've hung on it. What are the most likely to be used accessories? Kent Christian jumps in, and this is a commentary. It could be another question, but adds to the conversation. How do you plan to use the AR? Do you have night vision? How do you shoot it normally? How do you train with it? My house gun has a light and vertical foregrip on it. I don't have nods, nods, night vision, so I don't need a laser. I also have EOTech for a sight. That's pretty much it. For serious outdoor work, I mount a three times magnifier behind the dot on a unity mount so I can shove it out of the way. If I ever get around to buying nods, I'll probably look at a laser. I also recommend a two-point sling over a single-point sling just because it's harder to secure the gun to your body with a single-point sling. Go Glenn thoughts. Taking Bill's question point by point, AR slings, and Shelby interrupted in a good way and Mm -hmm. said, got to have it 100%. We covered that with Chris DeWallet. Yes. I believe, and Chris agreed with me, and Shelby agrees with me, the one most important accessory on a rifle is a sling. Everybody thinks, oh, it's a laser anti-aircraft weapon. No, okay, that doesn't exist, but it's not something super uber cool or expensive. It is a sling. And the best way to illustrate that is, and this usually depends on personal experience, early on, my first AR didn't have a sling because why would you? Because I mean, I'd never actually been outside and actually shot the thing. Carrying that thing around all day without a sling convinced me pretty quickly to get a sling. So his question, single point versus multi-point, this is entirely a personal preference thing. I can't really figure out single points and that's where you have one point of attachment. I guess if you're a special operations guy and you do this for a living, you go out and you shoot several thousand rounds like every week when you're doing a training rotation that involves small arms. Probably cool, but they don't really work for me. Multi-point, which would be two or more points. I'm a big fan of simplistic two-point slings where you have an attachment on the buttstock near the end and then another one on the foregrip, you know, towards the end of the barrel. You kind of end up carrying it almost like a guitar. Mm -hmm. It's crossed. So I want people to picture that. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things, though, I will say when I say keep it simple There is something that is a fabulous invention, and that is quick-release slings. There are Mm -hmm. a variety of swings. I don't know what they're called. I just call them quick-release ones, where you can cinch it up to be tight against your body so it's not flopping around. And with a single motion, basically undoing a buckle of some kind, it then unfurls, and it's full length, so you can press out and actually shoot with it. I wish I knew the term for it. Mm But something that is a quick release to a normal length and then can be cinched up to a compact, you'll thank me later. Yes. And as far as favorites go, I like Viking Tactical. I love Haley's Strategic, Travis Haley's stuff, Haley's Strategic stuff, because they have a perfect balance of padding versus slimness. So those would be some thoughts. AR accessories. You're so right, Bill. People have doubled plus the weight of their gun, all the stuff they've hung on it, the most likely to be used accessories. So back to this thing about weight, remember that you have to hold this thing up all the time. Yep. Because if you're cruising around looking through the sights, you've got it up to your eye. So I think we should probably finish this question, do the lightning round and do the special spousal questions about guns in the after show. And folks, I'll just direct your attention to episode 262, Gun-Related Christmas Gifts with Chris DeWallet. He talks extensively about things. And folks, as always, remember from Benjamin Franklin, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Have a great week, everyone. Adios. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. All the information you've heard today, including all our previous shows, is online at prepping2-0.com. Find out more about Glenn's books at 299days.com and Shelby's books at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared.